Welcome to another edition of CHP Talks. We are here today to talk about the hospice hospice care, about the Delta Hospice Society, and we have special, a special guest with us today, Angelina Ireland. And so, Rod, why don't you uh, introduce or give her a formal introduction? Well, it's not all that formal. <clears throat> Angelina has become a friend in recent uh, months. I've gotten to know her a bit, and she spoke to our AGM in Abbotsford in September and, and described some of what was going on with the Delta Hospice Society. Angelina is the president of the Delta Hospice Society. She's active in her community. She works as an entrepreneur, and she says that her greatest achievement is her family and marriage. But uh, she's, a, she's also a very informative speaker, and she's on the front lines. I'm going to switch this to gallery view. She is on the front lines uh, for the protection of innocent human life and standing up to the bullies uh, in the government, and in this case, in British Columbia. So, Angelina, thank you for joining yeah. us today. Well, thank you for having me, Rod. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. Yes. So... As we have alluded to, there's, you know, you're, you're involved in the Delta Hospice Society, but recently there's been a court, de court decision that has uh, gone very much against what you stand for. And uh, do you want to sort of open up that subject for those who aren't familiar and, uh, and sort of bring us up to speed? Yeah, sure. So we were originally taken to the BC Supreme Court uh, because we had uh, rejected um, certain people who wanted to become members of our society. And we rejected them because they basically wanted to bring euthanasia into the hospice. Um, and there has been a real concerted campaign, uh, concerted effort in collusion with Dying with Dignity Canada to you know, sign up members, get them into our society, and then uh, basically take over and have euthanasia implemented into the hospice. So we took a stand and we said, well, you know, this, we're a palliative care society. We've been a palliative care society for 30 years. This is the absolute opposite of anything having to do with euthanasia. And so we will not allow people to join. We don't think that's in the best interest of our society. If they cannot clearly support our constitution um, and the purposes of why all of us got together in the first place. So we denied them. And that's what the firestorm, you know, broke out. And uh, we also said that what we're going to do, um, because the government has uh, cut our funding, because we won't kill our patients, um, is to um, apply to become a faith-based society. Because as a faith-based society, we um, are granted an exemption from having to perform MAID in our hospice. And I would say, quite frankly, you know, many, many of our members are Christian. Many of our members are people of faith, and that might actually be a very good fit for us. So we proceeded to ask that, we tried to ask that question of our membership. So you put the two together, um, of rejecting people and saying, let's become faith-based and get an exemption. Um, it threw these activists into an absolute, uh, you know, fever pitch of um, anger and they took us to court um, and they took us to court to make sure they get that meeting canceled and second of all uh, force us to um, you know bring these people into our society as members so that's where the that's where the court case started wow so basically you're um 
I, I, I take it that the society had started at such a time that um, being against euthanasia was sort of common sense. Like who would even go in that direction? And times have changed so much that now you would have to be faith-based to be opposed to murder. That's that, right. That, yeah. that's at the moment, you know, um, and we're concerned about that faith-based exemption that, that the uh, government provides. But at the moment, they will not force you um, if you have a faith-based designation. And yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, 30 years ago, when this society started, that, that, that wasn't even conceivable mm-hmm. that we would have laws in this country uh, that would be forcing doctors, if they weren't going to euthanize their patients, then to send them off to somebody who will. Uh, inconceivable that um, you know a hospice, a place that should be a sanctuary for those in their last days, would be under such tremendous pressure to be you know to be killing their patients. So when those bylaws were constructed and the constitution was constructed, it was a very different world. Wow. Do, do you think that this? Um, <clears throat> I think maybe you alluded to this. Uh, the faith-based exemption. Do you? Do you think that that itself is in danger of being taken away by this uh, socialist government that we have now? Oh, yes, I do. I think absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest national lobby groups, interest groups, is called Dying with Dignity Canada. And they've been, you know, uh, involved in this whole back in the background. Um, They have publicly stated and written articles that this faith-based exemption should be lifted um, that nobody should have a faith-based exemption, that everybody should be forced to carry out euthanasia on people. You know, if they want it, they should get it. And you have any, you know, we don't care about your conscience rights. We don't care about your religious freedoms. So, you know, this is the direction that this country is going. And people need to be aware of that. Um, there's no more hiding. We have to face it. And, that, and just to clarify, for anyone who may be wondering, this organization, Dying with Dignity, is, is taking language and, and turning it around. What, what the hospice is providing is death with dignity, as so far as it can be provided. What, the, what this group is trying to do is kill with... Impunity. <laughs> impunity, as, yeah, I think that's really the word we're looking for. With a medical stamp of approval, they're not looking to let people die. They're actually looking to end people's lives. Um, so, so Angelina, you, <clears throat> you've told me that uh, you are a, you operate a ten bed facility, and uh, you're not far away from uh, the Delta Hospital where they actually perform euthanasia. Uh, mm-hmm. Why do you think that uh, Adrian Dix and this uh, government have been trying to force you? to convert your palliative care facility into one that performs euthanasia when that uh, so-called service, I don't call it a service, but when that uh, procedure is available just down the road. You're right. I mean, we were right next door to the Delta hospital. Like I think we would clock it. It's a minute. It's a minute to get there. So, um, you know, the, the laws in this country say that there has to be access in the community. Well, there's the access. The access is there. The access is in your home. You could have it on a beach. You could go up to the mountains. You, you could pretty much have it anywhere. So the access is wide open. The, the problem is there's the access to palliative care is, is, is being diminished. Um, so, he, you know, here we are, little Ted bed hospice of no consequence, honestly, out in the outskirts of Vancouver, in a little community, beautiful little community, 
Um, would it really matter if we were allowed just to, you know, carry on, uh, do the kind of work we've been doing for 30 years? Um, we have been the flagship hospice probably in Canada, state of the art facility, beautiful, very dedicated people, dedicated volunteers. Um, but then, in, you know, in comes the government and absolutely destroys this relationship, symbiotic relationship that we have had with the community um, because they pushed us into a corner and said, you will uh, perform euthanasia or we'll pretty much destroy you. I mean, that, you know, that, and that, that's actually what's happened. So, you know, why? I mean, here, here my only, you know, my only sort of opinion on the subject is that, you know, you are not allowed to, to resist. Mm. You, you know, resistance um, is um, perhaps contagious. Mm. And, you know, if, if you make a stand, somebody else might make a stand. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is probably something that's um, inconceivable to... Um, you know, a, a political train of thought where uh, there really is no freedom. Um, so, you know, we, we stood up, uh, we made a stand, and no, no other hospice has made a stand because they take your money away. They destroy you. Um, and so, you know, perhaps they're concerned that the courage, the commitment that we are showing to preserve and protect palliative care in this country as a human right um, is dangerous. So, uh, you know, why, why would anybody else be, you know, want to bother with us? And how would they possibly be afraid of me? I'm, I'm not, you know, <laughs> but for some reason, we, you know, we're like enemies of the state. Um, I, and <laughs> I, I presume there's no massive outcry from your patients to uh, demanding uh, euthanasia. Is that, or have I got it wrong? No. Is the government coming in to protect the rights of patients who are crying out for the opportunity to, to uh, have their life ended? No, because there's so much access, right? It's, it's not even an issue. So much access to euthanasia. Um, but like I said, you know, the access to a sanctuary is what we should all be fighting for. Yes. Yes, I think that's something that every listener has to bear in mind. You might be in the prime of life. You might be so far from feeling ill or getting into your final days that it's just kind of a, a topic out there. But um, who doesn't want to have... Um, a sanctuary, as you put it, uh, a place when in your final days, when you are not doing well, when you are, aside from a miracle in your you know, final hours, you wouldn't want a place of support and of care um, rather than pressure to, to end it, which is really the regime we're getting into in Canada. Angelina, do you think some of the pressure to have, uh, you know, for patients to choose euthanasia. Do you think some of that is financial on the part of the government that they're uh, wanting to uh, cut costs and, and so it's a, a cheaper solution for them than to care, actually care for people? Yeah, you know, I've always said that. Uh, I've been chastised for it. How dare you, Angelina? But, you know, it's true. Um, currently, I think, it, I think a doctor makes about $400. Uh, we looked into it. They make about four hundred dollars, about twenty minutes worth of work, right? To uh, 
to hook up a IV and basically kill somebody. You know, how, how much does it cost to have a, pre, a patient in palliative care, in a palliative care bed or an acute care bed? Um, it's, you know, we might be able to do it for about $600 a day. Um, an, acute bear, uh, an acute care bed, uh, maybe about $1,300 a day. So, you know, quite frankly, you, you, let's not be naive. We, under, we understand um, some parts of the motivation around increasing the access to euthanasia. Um, and, you know, what we say is that, you know, we are taking care of people that have given their lives to this country. They have created this country. They've created families. They've been law-abiding citizens. They've paid their taxes. Um, They've created, you know, among the greatest nations in the world. And is this the best that we can do is to offer them in their most vulnerable days? uh, The best thing we can offer them as a compassionate country is death. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I say, no, you know, what they deserve is care and they deserve love and passion and palliative care is a philosophy whereby it doesn't matter if you have five minutes left of your life or a hundred years left in your life. Everyone is equal. Everyone is precious. And if we will take care of you to the best of our ability, when we have fantastic medical advancements in pain relief and symptom relief, we know so much about psychological and um, social uh, support that we can give a person. I mean, I think it's very, very important to to, to, to raise this with you in terms of, um, you know, those people who want euthanasia. And the line, you know, from the activists is, well, they, they're in pain and they're suffering. Well, quite frankly, that's not what the evidence says. The evidence says that it's a small percentage of people who are suffering, you know, pain, and, and we can do a lot to help them. The vast majority of the reasons why people are seeking assisted suicide are psychological reasons. You know, they don't want to give up autonomy. They, they're afraid. They don't want to be a burden. They have anxiety. They have depression. I mean, these are all, um, you know, symptoms of a suicidal person. Um, and so we need to recognize that, you know, people, um, and, and I have faced those dark hours myself. People in those, those situations, that's when palliative care is so vital because we have those tools in which to help them to count, you know, and we understand also that the right to live fluctuates. You have a good day and you're so happy to be here. You have a bad day and you just want things to end. Right. So, you know, we need to be understanding it's a complicated process, this end of life process. Um, But to, to say that we should just give up um, and give in to the most basest of, uh, you know, human conditions means we haven't, we haven't evolved as a species. We haven't evolved as a nation and we can provide so much more um, to the, to the citizens of this country than what the government is currently suggesting. Wow. Well, I think that those words really do have to uh, sink home, especially with those of you who are older and listening. When you hear those cost figures, how much it costs to look after uh, seniors and, uh, you know, the government, um, you know, let's, for them, it's a, it's a liability. It's just a financial liability. And you're maybe at that point in your life, you're not likely to vote at all anymore, and certainly not for them. And, um, you know, it's a very... Um, stark and it's very dark, um, you know, 
cost analysis that you're doing at that point, but when it's cheap to give you a life-ending IV, they're all for it. Um, too many of them. And uh, we just want to say to those same listeners, <clears throat> you are of inestimable value. We in the CHP uh, appreciate the contributions of uh, all of our citizens, uh, and especially those seniors who have uh, labored throughout their life and are <clears throat> maybe now facing tougher times. But uh, I'm so glad that there is a facility like the Delta Hospice Society, yeah. and I wish there, uh, the Irene Thomas Hospice, which you operate, and I wish there were more facilities like that because I, I know it's true that many Canadians do not have access to the type of palliative care that you provide. And instead of uh, the government of British Columbia trying to shut you down, they should be trying to say, what's your secret and how do we build more facilities like, like the one you operate, the Irene Thomas Hospice in Delta. Uh, yeah. Angelina, you are an inspiration to us and, and you haven't given up the fight. And that's what I love about uh, <laughs> you taking this leadership as president of the Delta Hospice Society. Uh, you take a licking and keep on ticking. You got up again after this recent court case and uh, it didn't knock you back that you gave up. You said, no, we've got to try harder. And so... Yeah, uh, that's right, we do. We, we are do. our members across the country to to join the society. And uh, Thank you. We yep. that. We, you know, there's one thing that the courts did for us um, and, you know, they said that uh, Delta Hospice Society is an open society. It's an open, you know, the board of directors can't, can't determine who, who joins, you know. So, we, you know, we have to, we just have to accept everybody who, uh, who comes along, uh, you know, regardless of where they live. Uh, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. You know, we welcome you because we have been, uh, we have been sanctioned by the courts and we have been slapped on the wrist by the courts. Uh, that we must, that we must accept people, you know, who put $10 down the table and, and want to come join us. So, you know, for people who want to support palliative care, um, that consider it, as I do, a national treasure and a gift to humanity, um, you know, perhaps this is the place for you to come and be a member. Yeah. Wow. Those who uh, want to find out more about that can contact us, uh, contact me. Rod Taylor at uh, chp.ca, um, yes. and we'll we'll want to help you uh, get in contact with Angelina. Yes. Uh, any final comments, uh, Angelina? Before we close off, we really appreciate you being with us mm -hmm. and sharing your life-saving message. We we are so uh, pleased that you are standing firm. Yeah, you know, there's one thing, Rod, and I think people need to understand. You know, we have a government, a federal government that recognizes palliative care. Uh, they, they're being disingenuous at the moment, quite honestly, because they you know, pretend they don't understand. We're just made. Everything's about made for anybody at any point in their life who wants to off themselves. You know, it's all about made and letting people do that. But this federal government does recognize palliative care because back a few years ago in the House of Commons, uh, it unanimously passed a framework for palliative care. It was Bill 277. It was a private member's bill brought through by Madeline Gladue, or Marilyn Gladue, I'm sorry if I, miss, if I misspoke her name. And everybody said, yes, oh, it's so wonderful. And the government, you know, they, they pledged a, a few billion dollars 
to this framework of palliative care. Um, you know, President um, Justin Trudeau has said uh, that, you know, palliative care is important and we have work to do around palliative care. And I was saying, well, here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Come and help us. You know, we want to be part of that framework of palliative care. Uh, and so we're just asking the government to, uh, you know, keep their promises. Uh, they've, they recognize in the past the, the value of it. So now here we are and we want, we would like a uh, MP, a private uh, member of parliament to step forward and introduce a, um, a bill to the, to the House of Commons or a senator, we're not fussy, which basically says, um, you know, palliative care needs to be protected and palliative care institutions should be um, exempted from having to provide euthanasia or made. That's the bill we want. That's the bill we want to see introduced in the House. And it would be a perfect coupling to Bill 277. And I think the government um, owes us that. So any MPs out there um, with the courage, please step forward. We have it all ready to go. We've got a bill here that you can introduce. Wonderful. That's a great uh, initiative. Uh, another uh, national treasure, uh, a bill coming from the Delta Hospice Society. And uh, yeah, we echo that request. I wish that I were in the House of Commons. I would love to present that for you. But there are some good men and women there now who should uh, see this as their opportunity to do something for this nation and for life and for dignity uh, across this country. So, Well, thank you again. And uh, thank you all to, who are uh, listening, watching. We uh, hope that you will take this to heart and that you will join us again next week for another edition of CHB Talks. Thank you so much. Thanks.